Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church, North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. Let's dive into our text. Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 18. We're going to get the verses up on the screen. I'll read them to you. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open that up too. But let's dig in. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. For the next few moments, I'm going to talk to you on this thought. Don't stop at the water. Don't stop at the water. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this opportunity, Lord God, to hear your word. From the moment we've arrived, we felt your presence through the worship. We felt your presence, Lord God, as we saw these beautiful, beautiful children and had the opportunity to pray for and to dedicate them. And now, God, we open up our hearts and our minds to receive all that you have for us. Would you speak to us today? Would you use the words that are being spoken over us to be deeply planted into our hearts? Would, would the Holy Spirit do a work in us that is greater than any work a man can do through a sermon? Would you do the deep work on the inside of us, Father? We thank you in advance. We praise you in advance knowing that you are going to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands one last time as you are seated. Don't stop at the water. I want to tee this sermon up by once again reflecting on my childhood. I love telling stories about my family, especially when they're here. But one thing that you got to know about me is my dad is my dad is retired now. But before he retired, he was a quality professional. He worked in quality control and in quality control. If you're wondering, what does that really mean? Well, typically starts off with inspection and, and, and working in quality control. And my dad worked in the defense industry, putting helicopters up in the sky and training equipment into the military, um, into the hands of the military, went on to work at a company that, that makes and drones and puts them in the sky. And, and in quality control, you got to make sure that everything passes inspection. When you, when you work in quality control, everything has to be right. How many, wanna make, how many of you, when you jump on a plane, want to know that that thing passed inspection? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, this, ain't, this ain't something that's coming cheap and out of another country, right? This is something that you want to make sure has high quality. Now, my dad was a quality professional for all of his career. And sometimes, just like everyone passionate about their job, that bled its way into the house. Do you know what it's like to have to do the dishes when your father's an inspector? Do you know what it's like to mow the lawn when your dad is an inspector? Do you know what it's like to vacuum the house when your dad is an inspector? So growing up, I had this lens where everything just couldn't be good enough. I remember I'd mow the lawn, and it's like those, how many of those lawnmowers, they leave those marks as you go down? I mean, there had to be proportionate as they went down. You know what I'm talking about? When I'd, I'd vacuum the upstairs, I knew that if I, if I vacuumed the upstairs, because, you know, it was just me and my brother, so we all took turns doing the chores. Man, those vacuum marks, they better be lined up. You know what I'm talking about? How many enjoyed doing that? 
I, sometimes I did. I know it's kind of weird, but I was like, we're passing inspection today, you know. <laughs> Look at that line. Look at that. Oh, I messed up. Let me do it again. Let me do it. Okay, there we go. Brought out the ruler. All right, we good. Let's go to the next one. So, you know, in some of that, you know, I joke it wasn't that bad, but, but, but I, it, you know, it did teach me to really not settle and go above and beyond. And I'll never forget my first job, my first day. So I worked at a company, praise the Lord, Cinnabon. How many of y'all like Cinnabon rolls from Cinnabon? Pastor Josh's first job. I remember showing up for work, and um, it's like my first day, and there's a shift leader. The, the manager of the Cinnabon was not there. There was just a shift leader, and so she's training me. She's onboarding me, and at the end of the day, I have to clean the dough proofer. Do y'all know what a dough proofer is? It's where you take the dough, you put it in there, it warms, it causes it to rise, and then you can make the cinnamon rolls. Anyway, you just learned something new. That's called the dough proofer. And, and so at the end of my shift, it was my job to clean the dough proofer. And the young lady said, okay, I need you to clean this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this and go to work. So there I go. I go to work cleaning the dough proofer, getting all the water out of there. And I'm going in. And because my dad was an inspector, I'm doing a great job because that's the only type of job I know how to do. And I remember that the young lady comes over to where I'm at, the shift leader. She looks at how I'm doing. She goes, oh. And then the manager of that Cinnabon, his name was James. And she goes, oh, James is going to love you. James is going to love you. And I'm looking up at her. I'm like, girl, you should have seen what my house was like. If you think this is good, it's because I rose up. I mean, I was raised with a dad who was an inspector. Kind of reminds me of that, that line from Batman. Yeah, I remember that line from Batman when Bane looks over at Batman. He says to them, you merely adopted to the dark, but I was born in it. It's kind of how I felt in that moment. I'm like, I was born in this. You know what I mean? Like, like passing an inspection is what I do. <laughs> I say all that to joke around, but I really learned, and, and what I'm really grateful for was just this work ethic that taught me never to settle. It, it was this work ethic that taught me to never settle. It was this work ethic that taught me that even if it's good, let's make it better. And I've lived with this. It, it really is a testament of excellence that I, I thank my dad for. Now, here in this passage of Scripture, we read about a person that settled, here in this passage of scripture, we read about a person who didn't go above and go beyond. And it's in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that. But, but let me preface it by reading to you this really well-known verse in John chapter 10, verse 10. And it reads as follows. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life. Somebody say life. And that you may have it more abundantly. Somebody say abundantly. I've read this verse a ton of times, and the way that you read it may not be the way that I read it, so I want to teach to you the way that I read it. What this is saying is that you can have life, and if you want to, you can have an abundant life. You can have life, and if you want to, you can have an abundant life. What I do not believe it says is that you will automatically have an abundant life. It, I don't read this to mean that just because you've made a decision to follow Jesus, it does not guarantee you that you can experience abundant living. Now, now, will you be living? Absolutely. Because you've been dead to sin, you've been raised to life, so you are absolutely alive. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed, the former things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Absolutely. But I believe there's a difference between living and living abundantly. And there are a lot of people in the church who have settled for living, but they're not living in abundance. There are a lot of people that are in the church settling for life, 
but they've never gone further into this principle of abundant living. And this is really what I want to teach to you from today. There's a quote that I pulled from Pastor Rich Velotis. He's an incredible pastor, author out in New York. And he said this, the sad irony of our day is we can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but not be deeply formed by Christ. You can be deeply committed to being a Christian, but you are not allowing Christ to deeply form you. And I believe that in order to live in abundance, to have an abundant life, it really comes back to this concept of deep spiritual formation. Yes, you accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. Yes, you've punched your ticket to heaven. And if that's all you were trying to do, well done. You did it. But Jesus here in Matthew chapter 25 lets us in on a kingdom secret. And he talks to us about the man who did just enough. He talks to us a man that took what he had and did more. And then he talks to us about the man who took all that he had. And there was great increase as a result of how he lived. And I believe that Christ invites us into that life. How many believe Christ calls us into an abundant life? He, he, he doesn't demand it of us but he invites us into this life of abundant living. Now, I just read to you Pastor Rich's quote. If I could put my own spin on it, I would say this. Spiritual formation is in the acts, plural, two acts, is in the acts of presence with God. Somebody say presence. And service unto others. I don't believe it's one. I believe it's both. Look at your neighbor and tell them it's both. You see all throughout the life of Jesus, it's all throughout the life of Jesus, he would go away to pray. He would go away to spend time with the Father. And he would tell his disciples, don't tell anyone where I'm going. And then he would come back and he would minister to people. And then he would retreat back into presence and then come back down into service. Many people want to go into presence, but they never want to come down into service. Many people want to go enjoy a mountaintop experience and never come down. I mean, even some of the closest followers of Jesus had that mindset. Do you remember when Jesus went up to the mountain? They call it the mountain of transfiguration. He starts to pray. He starts to glow. It gets like real vibey in that moment. And then Peter st speaks up and he says, let's never leave this mountain. Let's just put a few altars here and just hang out here forever. And Jesus had to remind him, no, 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 no. This, this is just one aspect, presence and time with the Father. But there's another aspect to deep spiritual formation, and that is service unto others. I don't know if you knew this, but let me teach you something. The mark of your growth, the mark of discipleship is not only in your time with the Father, but sometimes more so in the way you treat other people. The evidence of your growth, the fruit of your growth is how you treat other people. Are you treating people with love or are you treating them with judgment? Are you treating people, are, are, are you serving them, or are you trying to lord over them? See, a lot of us love to come to church because all your friends are here. Everyone looks like you. They talk like you. They just get you. And then you can be nasty with all the people that God has called you to grow together with. And, 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 and we need to start looking at spiritual growth through this lens. If you only spend time with the Father, but you don't live a life of service unto others, deep spiritual formation is not happening. 
It, it's, it's, it's what Pastor Sam talked about last week when he said you could either be a reservoir or a river in the same way. And I'm not talking about finances today. I'm just talking about being present with God and then having the wherewithal to come back to people and to use and to be the person that God has been shaping you in private. What God is doing in private is, is eventually pruned in public. How many ever got it wrong with someone? I'm raising my hands. Because in my attempt to be a good disciple of Jesus, and in my attempt to tell others about Jesus, I've gotten it wrong. Have you ever gotten it wrong before? My son and I, we, we, we were listening to this podcast together, my son Jaden, and it's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Church. It talks about this church in Seattle that grew, 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 had exponential growth, and then like overnight the church just went away, and it all came down to how the pastor treated other people. Now, to me, it, it, it's just, it, it is just information that I'm able to process and hopefully learn from. Last night, as I'm having, as me and my son are listening to this podcast and talking about it, my son Jaden said, man, what's his problem? <laughs> but then I said to him, I said, you know, Jaden, I think the, the tragedy of what happened with this particular pastor was this. He made mistakes, and I told Jaden, look, we've all made mistakes. And I told him, I've made leadership mistakes. Some of the people under this tent were with me when I was making those mistakes. And they've seen me make leadership mistakes. And they've seen me make mistakes and, and where I have fallen short. But I told my son, I think the difference was I was making those mistakes in my early 20s and in my late teens. And he was making them in his late 30s. You know, there's some things you just got to grow from. You get what I'm saying? It, it, it's, it's, it's progress that we need to have in our life. And it's okay to get it wrong. Now, I know we live in a society where it is cancel culture. And the minute you get it wrong, we want to shut you off. But that's not the type of life that I think we see uh, modeled by the disciples and those who would follow Jesus. Jesus never canceled anyone. I'm going to say that one more time for the people in the back. Jesus never canceled anyone. And people would make grave mistakes and he'd keep on using them. People would make big mistakes and he kept believing in them. People would get it wrong and he'd still invite them to keep coming. Draw a little closer. You got it wrong this time, but I believe the next time it can be better. And this was the lifestyle that we saw with Jesus. I mean, even at the night that Jesus was arrested after three and a half years of ministry and they're arresting Jesus to take him to the cross, Peter, who many regard as the first church father, he was cutting people's ears off. He was gangster. I mean, it was like he took out a sword and he's like going to town. And, and, and Jesus doesn't in that moment say, that's it. You're canceled. I tried. For three and a half years, I've been pouring into you and you're still cutting people, you thug. No, he doesn't do any of that. He doesn't do that. Puts the ear back. Kind of lets him know. You're getting in the way of my purpose here, Peter. But he's committed to using him. Even when Peter denied Jesus three times, even when Peter had abandoned being a disciple and went back to fishing, resurrected Jesus. Do you remember when resurrected Jesus? He had, he had already resurrected from the death and grave and he comes to the shoreline and there's Peter fishing. You know what I mean? Peter's supposed to be out there growing the church. Instead, Peter's fishing. That's why I don't fish. No, I'm kidding. He's out there fishing. And, and, and Jesus you know, sees him out there, waves at him, kind of like, yo, Peter, you're going to grow the church or what? You know, Peter's out there having a good time, not doing what Jesus called him to do. And Peter in that moment is like, oh, shoot, it's Jesus. And he, he leaves this, the Bible says this, he literally leaves all his fishing supplies on the boat, dives into the water, swims to where Jesus says, I'm back. 
How about that, right? But, but listen, the point of all of that is Jesus doesn't cancel us. And, and yet many of us will either cancel ourselves or will not do the things that God has called us to do because we are afraid of mistakes. And here's the deal. Mistakes, listen, mistakes are requisite for growth. Plain and simple. You only grow through failure. There was only one perfect person who lived, and that was Jesus. And he's gone now, okay? So, listen, there's great books on this, and I don't mean to digress into it too much, but you can call it failing, okay? Or you can call it learning. And, and, and I believe as a Jesus follower, as a true Jesus, as, as a true disciple of Jesus, there are no failures as long as you learn from them. As long as you're committed to learning from them and growing from them. And that's why I believe that it's not just time in his presence, but it's in service to others where we really see our growth. Now, now I grew up in the type of church where service unto others was like low, like low on the priority list. It was like presence to God, service to the church. You know what I mean? You ever gone to, the, you ever gone to one of those churches where it was all about us? And not about them. And all of the resources went to us. And all of the investment went to us. All of our effort and energy went to us. And service unto others was very, very low on the totem pole. And when people walked into our services, you either, you, you either you swim or sink, one or the other. But there was no low end to our pool. And what I love about this church and the community that we've created is we try to create a place and a space where people who do not know Jesus can find him and they can grow in a place where they can just, there's a shallow end to our pool, Lighthouse. You get what I'm saying? And we can go as deep as you want to go, but make no mistake, we want to grow with you. We are committed to seeing you become everything that God has called you to become. We are committed to, I, I deeply committed to that. And we don't want, anything for you without first uh, we don't want anything from you without any without first wanting something for you you just want me to serve on the dream team no you don't understand i'm trying to put you in community i'm trying to put you in a place of growth i'm trying to put you in an environment where iron can sharpen iron and you can become a much better version of yourself you can become more like the version that god created and intended you to become and that happens in the context of community how you treat one another and so spiritual formation is in those acts, okay? Presence with the Father and how we treat others. Now, there's a few things that I pull from this parable here in Matthew chapter 25. The first one is this, write this down. God does not entrust us with the same. God does not entrust us with the same. Look at your neighbor and tell them, I got different gifts than you. What I love about the church is it is about unity and not uniformity. That's why... Jimmy Mena's got an incredible singing gift. And that's why some of you have other incredible hospitality gifts. Some of you have incredible craftsman gifts. Some of you have other gifts in administration, gifts in teaching. And, and listen, we are all not the same. And because we are all not the same, God does not entrust us with the same. And you, the, the, the sooner you get that, the better. How many ever saw someone try to do something they weren't really designed to do? How many ever saw someone say like, I mean, we, this happens sometimes, not at Lighthouse Church, but at other churches. I want to join the worship team. They grab a mic, they sing, and it sounds like a frog. And you're like, no, this ain't for you. 
How about someone's like, I want to manage the church finances, but they can't balance their checkbook. No, this is not for you. I've got the gift of hospitality, but you're mean to people. No, this ain't the place for you. Join the setup team. Come on, get out of there. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Our setup team is the best team. Let's give it up for our setup team. God doesn't entrust everyone with the same. And that's what I see here in this story. He, he gives one five, he gives one two, and he gives one one. And, and he, he gives them different things, but the command is still the same. Even though he's given you something different than what he's given you, the neighbor, the command is still the same. Go and make disciples. Oh, come on, somebody. Y'all know that's what your gift is for, right? I thought it was for the church. No, no. This, what we do on Sundays, I mean, this is great. This, this, is, this is presence, but service unto others, that's what he's gifted you for. This is one expression of what he's gifted you to do, but there's another expression that God expects out of you Monday through Saturday, and that's service unto others, and that's using the gifts, that good talents that God has given you to make a difference in the life of others. Now, I know some, this is, let me, let me read this, 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 uh, let me read this scripture to you here in Ephesians. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, grace was given according to. Somebody say according to. There's a measure of Christ's gift on the inside of you, and he's going to give you the grace that you need to do what he's calling you to do. So whatever he's called you to do, he's equipped you to do. There's a measure of grace that he's given you. And listen, the measure of grace on my life is not the measure of grace on your life. There are some people that have a grace on their life to do things that I could never succeed in. There are some people who have been graced to work in recovery programs and they can sit down with addicts and they can sit down with people who have deep ties. They, 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 they have some deep wounds and deep scars and I just tell you that there are some people in this church that are much more graced to do that sort of ministry than me. There, there are some people that can roll up their sleeves and say, let me show you my scars that I can't show someone. It doesn't mean that they're better or that I'm better. It just means that we have a different measure of Christ's gift on the inside of us. And, and the sooner you understand what Christ has given you, the more you can get to the, the sooner you can get to this place where you accept the call of God on your life. And, and I, that's a beautiful thing. I'm not saying to accept as in to settle, but I'm saying to be content in the gifting that God has given you. It's a beautiful place when you are content with what God has given you. It's a beautiful place when you realize this is my portion. This is what God has asked me to do. And when you live in that space, you can stop trying to copy people who God never designed you to copy. Like that's them. You be you because I made you an original. There's only one you. That's why your fingerprints is unique. It's because he's designed you uniquely. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. And Paul tells the church in Ephesus, you're not all the same. You've got a different measure of grace. Now, I've got a... Now, the, 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 so the second thing that I, I see through all of this is this. Not only does God not entrust us with the same, but the next one is this. God will entrust us with what he trusts us with. Okay? One more time. I know it's a bit of a tongue twister. God will entrust us with what he trusts us with. 
Sometimes you're asking God to give you something that he doesn't trust you with. It's not just a design thing. It's a stewardship thing. I'd give it to you if I could trust you with it. It's like Pastor Sam talked about last week when he said, how many of you would be so excited if you won the lottery? And then I'll start tithing God. It's like you couldn't tithe on the 10 bucks. How do I expect you to tithe on the 10,000 bucks? Oftentimes, we're talking to God about stuff, and he's like, I don't trust you with it. I know that's tough. I know you're like, eh. Don't give me stank face, Lighthouse Church, all right? I'm just preaching the word to you today because the master gives to the different servants different degrees of talents. To one five, to one two, to one one. He gave them what he trusted them with. I think it really comes down to that. Now, if I could insert my own commentary in this, I don't believe in this story that when the master went out of town, I don't believe he had the great idea of rewarding them while he was out on his journey. I think what the master was doing was he had observed his servants in his home for weeks, months, maybe years. And now came the moment of testing. Now he was going to give them a gift and see if they could pass the test. And two passed. The one with five and the one with two, they absolutely passed the test. And so the Bible says he rewarded them with increase. And then to the one who took his one and buried it in that moment. And again, this is a parable. This is a story. He was condemned for what he did. He, he didn't receive what the others received because he took what he had been given and he buried it. Now, this is a harsh statement. I didn't put it in the notes because I don't want you to take a picture of it and pin this back on me. So what if everything you have is exactly what God trusts you with? Your life, right now, all that you have is what God trusts you with. And could it be that the reason he's not giving you more is because you're not ready for more? It's why we don't give keys to cars to five-year-olds. I don't care if the car can self-drive. We don't do that. They're not ready. Sometimes we give keys to 16-year-olds, and they're still not ready, and that's a scary thing, isn't it? All the parents in the room with 16-year-olds, you're like, help me, Holy Ghost. Yes, they are not ready. Can't even, <laughs> never mind. I'm going to just leave it right there. But what if that? What if? Listen to me. This is tough. But for those of you that have been wanting more, praying for more, asking for more, thinking you deserve more, what if everything you have is exactly what God trusts you with? And now he looks at you and wants to know, what will you do with what I've given you? What will you do with what I've already given you? I, I, this is, you know, when, when, I, when I started working at the church, and in 2013 I left my job and I started working as an executive pastor, and this is one thing that I learned really quick, leading as an executive pastor and overseeing finances and operations. People had no problem spending the church's money, like ever. Well, pastor, I had $10,000 budget. I'm like, for a Bible study? Like, really? But then when it came to their own finances, when it came to their own stuff, and I think sometimes that's what it's like when we go to God and we ask for more. And he's saying, but you can't manage what you have. I've given you exactly what I trust you with, and now I'm trying to see if you could be like those 
servants. Could you be like the one with five? Could you be like the one with two? Could, could you do something with what I've already given you? Listen, Lighthouse, the reason we come back to this stuff in November and why we always recenter our hearts, minds, thoughts, finances, generosity around this concept is oftentimes I believe that we need to do a better job of stewarding what God has already given us. Stewarding what God has already given. I fully believe that you have exactly what God trusts you with. Now, now, if God begins to bless you, could it be that he has seen your faithfulness with what you have right now? Could it be that the increase that God wants to bring in your life is a direct reflection of how you have been faithful to what he has given you right now? Right now. And I'm not just talking about finances. I'm talking about he put a gift on the inside of you. Are you using his gift for his glory? He's given... He's given you skills and talents to enlarge the kingdom of God. Are you using it for the glory of God? I'm coming to a close now. I I really believe that, you know, when I look at this passage of scripture, and and I'm going to summarize this just really quick. The five, when, when the master comes back and the five turned it into five more and the two turned it into two more and the one buried it, I really believe, again, like I said earlier, I believe that the master, when he went away, he went away to, and he had the plan to test them, but he had the plan to bless them. His plan was to bless those who could be faithful with what he had given them. There's this, there's this scripture that I love in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. It says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. I love this scripture. Y'all get it? Can I, want me to paraphrase it? God is looking to show up in your life, but he's looking for the person whose heart is loyal to him. I don't believe, when I say that God has given you exactly what he trusts you with, I don't believe he's done that in a posture of giving you, uh, giving you a little bit. I don't believe he does that in a posture of, I'm going to be stingy with my son. I'm going to be stingy with my daughter. But I do believe that he will respond according to your faith. I do believe that he is actively looking to show himself strong. How many want God to show himself strong in your life? Like, how many of y'all want God to move in your life? And how many of you want God to show up and like show out? And listen, it says that he's trying to do that. Like he's actively trying to do it. He is actively trying to show up and show himself strong, but he's looking for that person to be faithful. He's, he's looking at the person who is loyal. He's looking at that person whose heart is towards him. So, so unlike sometimes the perception that God is up on a cloud in the sky, lightning bolt in hand, ready to strike fear. No, 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 no. He's actually looking down from heaven, wanting to show himself strong in someone's life. You need to change your perspective of God. He's not up in heaven ready to judge you. He's up in heaven ready to bless you. He just wants to make sure that he can trust you with it. He wants to make sure you can shepherd it. He wants to make sure you can steward it. He wants to make sure that your heart is loyal towards him. Him, not the stuff, because some of you are more faithful to his hands than you are his heart. You want God for what he can do for you, not for what he's already done for you. And if you knew what he's already done for you, then you'd you'd worry less about what he can do for you and what you could do for him. It's a totally different posture. I'm not looking what else can he do for me, but what can I do for him after all he's already done for me? He's trying to show himself strong, and he's just looking for that person whose heart is faithful with him. Now, I'm coming to a close. Let me get some piano music here. It's going to help me land this thing. And I want to come back to this passage of Scripture 
that I love to read and I think we don't do a good enough job teaching in the church, so I'm not going to give you a huge theology lesson, but, but let me land my plane on this right here. The book of 1 Corinthians, we read this passage of Scripture in chapter 3, verse 13 through 15. I'll read it. Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Let Pastor Josh break that down, all right? There are not one judgments that await us. There's not one judgment that awaits us when God gets ready to take his church home once again. There are two judgments. Look at your neighbor and tell them two. There are two judgments. The first judgment is the great, the great white throne judgment, okay? The white throne judgment, okay? Everybody say the white throne judgment. The white throne judgment is to judge those who do not believe. If you show up there, that's because there was a little problem with what you did here on earth, okay? <laughs> the white throne judgment is the judgment for the unbeliever. The believers don't stand before the white throne judgment because we have already put our faith in Christ. We have already received everlasting life. We have committed our life to Christ. We, we did things out of obedience, such as getting water baptized to follow the commands of Christ. So, so we don't go before that judgment to be judged whether or not we believe because we have already been found faithful. We believe. But here's the deal, Lighthouse Church. A lot of people stop there. They, they, they stop at the water, so to speak. I'm in. I punched my ticket to heaven. And what I have taught at this church, and you probably don't hear this said in a lot of pulpits and a lot of churches, but heaven is not the goal. And I know that's shock for some of y'all. Well, I just thought we need to get up into heaven. Listen, heaven is what God has for us. But what the real goal is, is to be a follower of Jesus every single day becoming more like him, becoming his bride, deep formation in him. You do that, heaven just happens. You know what I'm saying? Heaven just happens. I think for too long we've taught people just to get to heaven, get to heaven. And then afterwards... They didn't live abundantly because all they did was got brought into life. Remember, there's life and then there's abundant life. Okay, so let's talk about the second judgment. So the second judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. Somebody say the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is now the judgment for the believers according to your works. Say that one more time. The judgment seat of Christ is for believers, that's me, according to my works. Works do not save you. That's why you don't go to that first judgment. We're not saved by works. But our works as Christ's followers will be judged in that second judgment. Th th this is why. Even if your works burned, you're still going to be saved. Catch, catch that? You're still going to be saved. You, 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 you're saved. But there's another judgment coming. And he's going to judge your works here on earth. He wants to know, did you settle for life? Or did you try to move on to the abundant life? He, he wants to know, was it enough for you simply to be saved? Or did you try to go now and to use the gifts and the talents that God has given you to enlarge the kingdom of heaven here on earth? 
And listen to me, Lighthouse, I got to provoke you with this because when we talk about all that remains, and we've been talking about this every single Sunday about how, you know, we started off talking about finances, but it's, it's more than finances. What we're talking about today, we're going to talk about next week as well. It's beyond all of that. It's about living a life of good works in response to what he's done for us. Those good works don't save you. Christ alone saves us. It is our repentance and putting our faith in him that saves us. Beyond that, what do you do now that you've received everlasting life? What are you doing with the gifts and talents that God has given you? Because there will, become, there will come a day where he will judge your work. Now, what I love about this, well, I don't know. Love might not be the right word. Is there are some people that don't do it for the right reasons. Have you ever seen someone that are trying to do things in the name of God, but it's really not in his name? They're really just trying to build their own kingdoms here on earth? Well, that's what the fire's for. That's what it's for. I think on that last day, our intents will be judged. I think everyone whose intent was about building your kingdom here on earth and not God's kingdom here on earth, that's what that is for, okay? Keep your motives pure. Keep your heart pure, okay? But in this judgment that we don't talk enough about, this is what I'm trying to get you to. Don't stop at the water, Lighthouse Church. There's so much more that God has for us. There's a life that God is leading you into. There's an abundant life that he's calling you into. And I want you to experience all that Christ has for you, but it happens in the place of abundance. Let's close our eyes. Let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, for the gift of salvation. We thank you, God, for the gift of grace, the gift of mercy. We thank you, God, because so many of us are here under this tent and our salvation is secure. We've put our faith in you. We've turned from the old us and the old lifestyle. God, there is a gift that you have given to us that is no greater than that. But my prayer today, God, is for every person that has stopped there, for every person that has found contentment in that place, would you provoke us, God, to live, to, to move on to now an abundant life, God? where the gifts and the talents that you've given us are being reinvested into the lives of people who don't know you, where the gifts and the talents that you have given us are uh, reinvested into this world, where the gifts and the talents that you have given us are being used to bring others to this same hope that we have found in you. God, I pray that when you judge our works, we be found faithful. I pray that when you judge our works, that you would say, well done my servant. I pray, God, that we will take all that you have given us, Father, and that we would use that now, Lord God, to make a difference in our homes, in our cities, in the greater North County, and everywhere you would take this church. In your name we pray. Amen. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.